0: Hey guys, Mike here. Hey, on this episode of Mountain and Marsh, Greg Kasmierski calls in. Greg is a Michigan native now living in Ohio. Uh Greg works for Whitetail Partners, which is a whitetail land consulting group. And Greg is uh the guy who runs Ohio's uh the Ohio division in Whitetail Partners and um Greg's a great dude, man. You're really going to like this podcast. One thing that we, we go over is just, um, how they, they manipulate land and, uh, they use mapping techniques and things to, um, to grow bigger whitetails for people to hold more deer. Um, guys, whether you want to grow bigger whitetails, uh, hold more deer, hold more turkeys, harvest larger turkeys, um, divert water systems. situate bedding areas, any of these things, man. If you guys need to reach out, you don't just have to be in Ohio or the Midwest. Um, Reach out to Greg, get a hold of him, uh, Whitetail Partners Ohio on Instagram, and Greg can hook you up. Uh, These guys do some really cool work. Uh, Also, Greg has a drone service as well. that use drones um, to map out some of these properties and, and really check things out. So, Hope you guys enjoy the conversation. We had a good one. Thanks. Hey, guys. Everybody who knows knows that I have been running a swamp stick extendable pole all year this year. Um, from running my spinning wing decoys at five feet tall to uh, hanging my gear, my gun, my blind bag, um, the accessories I use, like my cell phone grip for manipulating the, uh, the cell phone and getting some film, um, using it as a walking pole. I mean, using it to hang blind mesh on banks. Um, I've used this thing a bunch this year. I've had a blast trying to, uh, figure everything out and man, I would not go back now. I love it. I've even used it deer hunting with my bow. I've hung my bow from it in standing cornfields and sat on a bucket and hunted that way too. So, Look guys, if you would like one of these, or if you want to figure them out, if you want to see if it's something you'd like, check out my YouTube page, look up Swampstick. I got uh, a review on there and, um, I really love it guys. Use code M A M P 10 at checkout, get 10% off. These things are cheap compared to the competitors. Uh, Great product, man. Really great product, and I love it. I thank Sean for reaching out and uh, and getting me one of those because it has been a game changer for me this year. Uh, guys, again, MAMP10 at checkout. Get you 10% off. Thanks. Hey folks, Mike here. I'm here with Greg Kasmierski. Did I say that right, Greg? All good. You got it. All right. uh, Greg has one of the most intricate last names that have ever been on the podcast. (laughs) So, hey, uh, so Greg works with Whitetail Partners, Ohio. Um, Greg, why don't you introduce yourself and tell people kind of where who you are, where you're from, and uh, what you do with uh, Whitetail Partners.
1: Yeah, uh, absolutely. Well, first off, thanks for having me on. I really do appreciate it. Um, so yeah, as you said there, I work with uh, whitetail partners, um, and I am our Ohio regional expert. Uh, I am initially from uh, northern Michigan is where I was born and raised. And uh, just recently, actually, my wife and I moved down to Ohio. And uh, I've, I kind of got in with Sam, who is the founder of Whitetail Partners, uh, Sam Bill Horn, who lives over in West Wisconsin. And he was looking to expand his operations uh, throughout the Midwest this consulting season. And it kind of fell into place at the same time as that I was moving down to Ohio here. So uh, we decided to team up and uh, this will be my first full actual, uh, like, commercial consulting season it's something I've done growing up on uh, friends properties family properties things like that up in Michigan but this will be uh, the first full season down here in Ohio so something I'm very excited for
0: obviously Michigan is steeped in hunting tradition it's I mean I live in I'm in Gettysburg Pennsylvania Pennsylvania is also one of those states that uh, it's just crazy the amount of hunters here but Michigan's the same way. Um, so obviously you come from an area, uh, with a lot of hunters, you know, what made you move over to Ohio? You said that you guys were already making the transition anyway. What was, uh, what was leading you to Ohio?
1: Yeah. So, uh, we actually moved down to Ohio back in August of 22. Um, and that move really was sparked by, uh, us just really wanting to try something new. Um, I've always been really passionate about whitetails and I was really wanting to get into the consulting thing. And before I got connected with Sam, my initial plan was just to launch my my own business doing so. Um, But really I wanted to get down to Ohio just because there is a lot higher caliber of deer out there running around and uh, the properties honestly just lay out a lot better for whitetails in general, um, a lot better terrain features, you know, just all that stuff kind of adds in together and just, uh, really just, we were ready to try something new and, um, kind of threw a, threw a dot on the map in Ohio and off we went. So here we are now. Right on. And, uh, and
0: as I said earlier, you're from Michigan. And, uh, so how did mm-hmm. you get your start in uh, in the outdoors I mean was it were you a little kid or did you get start late you know a lot of people have a different story
1: yeah yeah so uh for me I was uh like the the typical Michigan family growing up uh, my dad he would always go up to our uh rifle rifle deer camp up in Michigan's upper peninsula uh through like November 15th to the 30th every single year and what from when I could Finally, start to have those memories. Uh, I always waited for the year that I could go up there with him finally because it's like they would always go up and have these awesome stories uh, about all these memories they made up at camp, and I would just get to hear about them when he came home. So it was something I anticipated for years. And then when I finally got that opportunity, you know, I was like probably nine, ten years old when I first started going up there, when I could just at least sit and hunt with him. And, uh, I mean, ever since then, it's just been a continually growing obsession and it's turned into just, uh, not only a a profession, but it's a, it's a year round activity for me, just on the personal side of being out in the woods and really trying to learn deer. And, uh, just, I just really enjoyed the outdoors in general. So
0: yeah, man, right on. That's a, that's a really cool uh, way to get into it. It's how a lot of people did. It's how I did as well. Um, so whitetail partners whitetail uh you said you want to do consulting anyway which is Mm -hmm. really cool because um it that type of thing is something that i have looked into not necessarily whitetail as much as just in general i do a lot of stormwater management work and i build ponds do stream restorations and uh i was like man it would be really cool to do something in the outdoors and i saw your profile on Instagram, I was like, "Wow, this guy like uh, does this stuff. That's really cool." So, um, why don't you tell everybody kind of just an overall basis at first uh, of your responsibilities?
1: Yeah, so uh, really, we we offer a variety of different services, but really, like what the bread and butter of consulting is is getting to go on site to a landowner's property. Uh, And just starting with like a general walkthrough of what exactly it is that they're working with. Um, You know, like what, what's the status of the deer population on their property right now? What type of goals do they have currently for the property? Uh, What are they looking to do so in the future? And then really just kind of breaking it down from there and implementing a plan for that specific landowner based on what their goals are, because really it's different uh from one person to the next because there are some people that are just out there that have a piece of land and they're just really interested in seeing a certain quantity of deer throughout the deer season or maybe they are just gun hunters or whatever it may be and then there's people that are really just looking to take things up to that next level where maybe they are having some quality two three-year-old bucks showing up throughout the hunting season but they're really looking to find a way to get into those more mature level bucks and that plan is going to look vastly different from the guy that's just looking to increase deer sightings on his property during a gun season Um, so that's the main thing that we do is setting up that plan and then just kind of Building that long-term relationship with a landowner and really seeing that plan out for years and years to come.
0: Yeah, being that I'm from Maryland, uh, hunt. Uh, I'm I live in central Pennsylvania, all the way in the south, so I'm right above the Maryland line. I hunt Pennsylvania, okay. I hunt in Maryland, and I hunt Virginia for deer and turkey and waterfowl. So I kind of have, and I, I love turkey hunting as much as I love duck hunting as much as I love deer hunting. And so Mm -hmm. I, in my opinion, I enjoy seeing property that is set up for the, the flourishment of not just large deer, but just taking care of the population. I always find that it's really cool to see uh, properties worked out that way where people have CRP and people are using overgrown areas to, uh, house turkeys Um, in the nesting seasons and you know people are really looking to take care of every animal and and, and grow all populations not just deer because it's it's harder to do but man how cool is it to be able to see all the populations of animals on that property or in the area flourishing.
1: Oh absolutely and that's the cool thing about uh, implementing these plans on the properties is that as a collateral effect. You really are just benefiting all other types of species as well, because when you're improving all of these types of habitat, like you just said, you know, you're creating when you're creating bedding areas. Yeah, you're designing them for deer to show up and use them, but that is also going to mean that there's going to be other types of animals that are going to come in there and use them. And you're also bringing in extra food, you're making it easier for them to maneuver their way through the property, you're opening up some, uh, some extra food sources for them and just, it's, it all just kind of adds together. So really, it, it fits well outside of just for a deer hunter. Um, And that's the thing is that sometimes we go on to properties, and people do enjoy deer hunting, but they also enjoy turkey hunting a lot springtime so we keep that in mind with our plans as well um i'm not saying that i'm an expert on setting up properties for turkey by any means but it is something you keep in mind as you are drawing up the plan and what types of features you're going to be implementing onto the property
0: so what are uh what are some of the the implement the the implementation you guys are carrying out like if you guys are, say you go to a property and the, and they say, we don't have enough deer. What's, what's like mm-hmm. the number one thing that you guys would be looking to do?
1: Yeah, so it can, uh, that can turn into a pretty loaded question. Uh, really, it's going to come down to what type of, like what exactly that property already has to offer. But like an easy surface level answer for something like that would tell me that, this property is probably going to lack an adequate amount of cover to hold deer. And that landowner is just going to be dealing with deer that are passing through his property to get to a food source or their bedding cover or whatever it may be. Um, So for me personally, like I like to go on a lot of properties in the Southeast region of Ohio which is, you get into like the more hilly terrain when you get into like the foothills of Appalachian, and everything. And those properties set up really nice for being able to like narrow down uh, travel routes for these deer, uh, just because the elevation is so steep in these areas that it creates these certain land features like on the hills that make it really easy to narrow down deer movement. And from there, it's really just like putting together this big puzzle. Of you have your travel corridors here, you know this is where they're eating, and then it's just kind of placing that bedding area accordingly uh, to kind of really make everything full circle and give everything that the deer need to hold them on to that specific property.
0: I asked that because as someone, and you hit the nail on the head. You went exactly where I thought you were going to go, but. Um, I, so I hunt in an area, I grew up in an area that's mainly, it's actually this side of Appalachia in the foothills. So we are, we are like just coming into the foothills. Some of it is like rolling hill country with farmlands. It's like, it's like ag land with hedgerows and there might be some thick bottoms and I, you know, I hunt the mountains themselves, but in the mountains themselves, there's a lot more cover even than just on these strips of farmland. And I know a lot of guys, I have good friends, who hunt properties where they aren't allowed to manicure anything. And so mm-hmm. they, they won't even be able to give themselves the cover oftentimes. And, and people say, man, this property just doesn't hold deer." Nine times out of ten it it's there's no cover man nowhere for the deer to sleep
1: it's tough yeah that's the hardest thing and uh like the other thing that it seems like too that really comes into play is the access feature for a hunter however they're getting on to that property especially in these more hilly up into like the mountainous terrain it's just so incredible like the vantage point that these deer have from their beds even if it is in more open cover that if you don't really have that access type style just really locked down then they're going to be on you before you even kind of before you even know that they're there and they can just simply slip over the top half of the ridge onto the back and loop around and you're never going to see them that night so that's the other tricky thing is that if you really don't have that access nailed down then you could be kind of like diverting deer from where you're at without even realizing it because that's the one thing that I've noticed by, uh, all the time that I've spent in, in the Hills, just hunting these last few years is just like, man, they, they really are on to you. They know where people access from frequently. And, uh, it seems like it's their way of staying one step ahead.
0: Do you notice that the access game seems to be the big draw now uh and i only say that because it might have been don higgins that did it but it got like miscanthus got huge and i like i live in an area uh like i, I grew up hunting on uh, hunt chesapeake bay um and stuff like mm-hmm. that there's Fragmites everywhere um and that's what i would equate miscanthus to and it's just the ultimate giant Miscanthus or I, I guess razor gray. Like, I don't know. I don't know the extent of all of them, but I just know that cover crop in terms of access has gotten huge. I don't know if that's, if you've noticed that or if that's happened out Midwest first, I don't know.
1: Yeah, no, that's definitely around. Um, and yeah, it's that access thing is just so big. Uh, like so, I do a lot of my my when I'm actually stand time going out and hunting. A lot of it's done on public land. I just hunt a lot of the big state forests down here in Ohio, uh, just simply because I just really enjoy doing it. Uh, it's just something real special about being out there, and it the thing that it does for me the most is like I love being able to go out and just view deer in that uncontrolled environment and just see like, okay, how are they using the land? Because for me, it's just like, this is just free education and I can use that and take it on to people's properties and really kind of paint that picture of, okay, this is what the deer were doing when there wasn't anything that we could do to the habitat, but now we have all that ability to do so. So you can really kind of narrow down access from that standpoint and then kind of like use that as the building block to put everything else into play um it it just varies so much because like when you're talking about being in that more open ag type country it's those screening covers are more important but if you get up into the hills and everything like that well then you can start using that terrain and everything to your advantage and you can kind of take more of a natural approach to it so it's like that same thing it's just there there isn't a one size fits all answer but that's what keeps this job so fresh and everything is like you get to go on and this property is so much different from the last one and you're just trying to solve that next puzzle.
0: What is your favorite terrain then if you're if you're going to a property would you rather it be flat agland hedgerows to start or would you rather it be maybe a dense hardwoods with some hill country or, or what in between, I mean, what's your favorite to start with?
1: Yeah. uh, So my personal favorite, I would, I would lean towards the hill country uh, just because that is so much easier to manipulate movement because like I uh, mentioned a little bit ago about just how steep the terrain is in some of these places, like the deer already only have so many places that they can travel. And it makes it that much easier to narrow down on any types of like cuttings or whatever it is that you're doing to kind of influence that movement. It's a lot easier to do that in the hill country. But on the flip side, it's a lot more challenging to give that high quality year round food if you don't have as good of soil or if you're not working with as much sunlight. So each one has its pros and cons. But if you're looking, kind of just from the standpoint of you do a lot of your you do a lot of your hunting uh, like early to mid November type stuff, where you're hunting a lot of travel corridors pre rut and into the rut, everything like that. It's really hard to compete with that hill country because the opportunity is there to really narrow down that deer movement. And if you just keep that access in mind, you can have some really special hunting opportunities.
0: I got you. Well, so if you're going to go, say you start with a blank canvas and you're going to hill country, you obviously know where your deer are moving majority of the time. I'm not going to say all the time. Um, I've grown Mm -hmm. up hunting the steeps of the Appalachia and I can tell you that if a buck wants to get from a to B, he will get there. If I bump him, like if, (laughs) if, if he wants to maneuver, uh, you know, using, um, using overlooks and using saddles for movement and finger ridges and dog legs and things like that. I understand all of that, but you know, if you're gonna look at something from the top down, you're looking looking an overview and it's hill country. Um if you're gonna move food around in hill country, like what where would you start? Is there would you get low or like is there a certain way you go about that?
1: Yeah. So really the best uh the best place to start with that, I would say, is To kind of if you can find out where that bedding is if you know that either they are bedded on your property or you have the ability uh like to find that as we're walking through your property locate those bedding areas it's really easy to start from there and then work your way out to see where the deer already want to go naturally And then you can start to look for those specific opportunities on the property. You know, say that you get hit with an area where there was some sort of like big windstorm in the past, just for an example, that really opened up a large section of the canopy and you could start to implement any kind of like plantings and things like that. Um, Whatever the case may be, whenever I feel like you can start at the bedding and then work out from there, that seems like it makes it a lot easier to kind of find out where you need to put that food. So
0: you don't believe that you people need to spend a, a load of money to get projects like, I'm not going to, obviously everything's different, everything has its own quirks, but you probably, just as you said, any wind-torn areas or whatever, you can probably find some areas, no matter what the condition, that you can start for pretty cheap. To if you were to get if I was to purchase a land consultation from you, it would be cheap to start out. It wouldn't have to be crazy for me to just spend a bunch of money on clearing and trees and and uh plantings and you know everything else.
1: Yeah, that's the nice thing is that like you can keep all of that in mind and going into it. And that's why. Uh, we don't ever just like jump in and say, okay, this is how much it's gonna be, uh, this is the way it is, and this is the plan that we're implementing. We really make sure we find out like, what is this a something that you're gonna kind of have this wide open budget, Are we going to be more budget conscious? What exactly are we working with as far as an equipment standpoint? Uh, Like what type of equipment do we already have access to? Are we going to need to rent equipment? Are we buying equipment? You know, you, you ask all of these questions to really find out what the resources of the landowner are, and then we build that plan around that to make sure it really fits. Their wants and their capabilities. So, yeah, there's a huge price point when it comes down to all of these projects. But when you want to just really start out with like the influencing of deer movement and everything like that, you can really start on the lower end. And then, as you can imagine, you know, you follow some pages on social media and stuff, some of these bigger farms that are being managed, they're pumping a considerable amount of money into it annually to upkeep and keep the results in what they've, what they've been able to do.
0: I believe that that is a large part of why so many people get scared off of it. When they hear, they may hear the term consulting or even just Mm -hmm. hearing the, like the term manipulation. When you start to think about, I myself work in construction. So I understand uh, that there can be a lot of money thrown at projects like this. And mm-hmm. I, I think that's what scares people off. You see the Lee and Tiffany's and the Drury's, and you see what they're able to do. And I mean, when you're talking about they might have 20 redneck blinds set 20 feet tall, and each one of those sets is $4,000. And then, you know, people start to sweat when they think about the amount of time, money, effort uh, you know, the connections that they need. And, and, uh, I think people kind of get away from it, but it doesn't seem to me like it uh, other than the information and the knowledge that you hold. I don't see where a normal person couldn't put together maybe a couple thousand dollars and buy a chainsaw and you know, get to work, do some stuff, you know, under, under the right guidance
1: yeah absolutely. and you you really hit on a really good point there about when you start breaking down all of the different costs that go into these huge farms of all these household names that you see those are huge investments. But when you're looking at it, uh, you know uh, the to have a fresh set of eyes, somebody with that knowledge and experience to come onto your property, when you're looking at it from an ROI standpoint like that's the type of investment that you're going to be able to make that is a lot lower costing than all of these other things, but you can still increase the value and the quality of all the experience that you're going to have on that land from what that, if it's the right consultant, what they're going to be able to offer you. That's the biggest thing is that there's a lot of people that are out there that are doing it. you just really have to make sure that your goals align with what they're putting out there for you and just really make sure that they're delivering some high quality work for you and your property.
0: Yeah, I, I truly believe that um there's there's many ways to skin the cat. And I I think that mm-hmm. you know just as you're explaining now, it would resonate with people where I live more. I don't live in a big buck area. It's funny because just on the other side of the Appalachian Mountains, in southeast ohio there are huge bucks on our side on the in the foothills there there's a 180 190 code every once in a while but it's like it's super rare like when you hear about you're like yeah oh my gosh what but what you know when you hear about it in ohio it's like oh wow they got another one you know
1: so another tuesday (laughs) yeah,
0: yeah so where i where i live where i grew up um if if you know somebody gets a one forty class one thirty five class eight point or ten point people are pumped up about that and so mm-hmm. the the uh you know manipulating of the of ground here isn't the same as it is out out there it's not you're not you're not looking to produce the same exact results here so i i believe that there are uh, there are other ways for different areas you know in ohio most people are probably looking to to grow and hold large bucks but here mm-hmm. i could see people not only wanting to grow and hold larger bucks but also hey how could we utilize this property to the best of our advantage
1: yeah exactly and that's the that's one of the big things that go into it is even the state of Ohio in itself isn't the same, where there are, there's a, there are certain core areas of the state of Ohio that just is truly special as far as the type of terrain that it offers and the caliber of deer that are running around there. Um, but you just really have to understand going into this plan, uh, any kind of planning process of, okay, what are the top of the line deer in my area? And what is it going to take to actually be able to continue to have continuous success on on them? Uh, Because like you just said, you know, you could go on a property where you're at and if you're going to be able to shoot 135, 140 inch buck every single year, then you're happy as can be because you know that that is typically going to be one of the better bucks that are pulled from that area. So it's all about perspective when you're looking at this. And you just have to really keep that in mind beforehand. And that's where it just kind of, I, I know I keep circling back to it, but you know, if you're working with the right guy, as you're doing this, they're going to make you aware of what we're working with on a larger scale to make sure you know what exactly we're going to be able to get out of your property as we start to, as we start to work on it.
0: All right. So Gray, I want to ask you a couple more specific questions. And these are kind mm-hmm. of just my questions. Um, water. When, when you go to a property, is there a certain water source you're looking for, or does water not bother you as much?
1: Uh, that's going to depend. Uh, the thing that water does do is a, it can work as an, attra- an attractant, especially for like a year like this year. Uh, we got hit with a really dry late summer down here. Yeah, and I don't know if you ever, if you ever seen any of it on the news and everything, but uh, we got hit with a real bad spell of EHD. And it was from all of like that, uh, without having much runoff water and everything being like so condensed and stagnant, it just really spread and it knocked out a ton of deer. Um, so water can be good, but it can be not, I'm not going to say it can be bad, but if it's not utilized properly, it can almost sometimes cause more harm than good. Um, so it's hard to answer. It it really just kind of depends on what area, uh, we're looking at, um, because if you're up in the more hilly terrain where you're, they're kind of relying more on those runoff streams and everything like that, then those water holes and everything may be more beneficial to add in. But if you have deer that are living surrounding a 250-acre soybean field, they're going to be able to get a lot of that water content from all of the food that they're eating anyway. So it's not going to play as big of a role in a type of area like that. So you
0: would say in an area that's had EHD problems, um, you would rather see streams and creeks moving for the majority moving water obviously they dry up we we actually early season deer season this year on our lease in Maryland we had our stream dry up and the deer were drinking from puddles every 200 yards so yeah yeah you're so you're looking for running
1: water yeah, and I mean, I'm by, by no means am I a biologist or anything like that. I just go strictly off of my observations. Um, I spend a lot of time walking around the woods, whether it's for clients or just for my own personal enjoyment. And just from my observations, like things seem to be a lot better when you have that running water. And if you can have some sort of access close to that, like that seems to be a better option for the deer.
0: Okay. I got you. All right. So one more here. I'm going to, I'm going to go the feed route. And the reason I'm going to ask this question is because when I was younger, we hunted a managed property that was very well Mm -hmm. managed. Uh, The farmer that owned this piece of property on this portion actually saved the crops for the deer during deer season one crop that oh, he wow. used that we found that was and this guy killed some in the area he killed some big boys and um mm-hmm. one one crop that we found that really worked well as cover and as food was millet i, I and like uh sorghum um those okay. those were like the and to this day, I, I still believe and I've seen other properties with it. It's one of my favorites. If you were gonna put any food source out, obviously it's dependent, but the number one food source you would put out for deer, what what would it be?
1: Well, again, you know, same kind of thing. It it's really gonna depend on a on a variety of factors. Uh but if I can relate it back to just like my observations and what I see while I'm out in the field, I think it's truly incredible how much weight that natural browse holds on a deer's habits. And if they can have access to that natural browse, um, like just like the woody little browse or any kind of forbs or like little green plants that are still green later on into the fall Like, if you can have a property that has that, that can keep deer there, uh, you're going to really put yourself in a good position because those destination type food sources are great. But I mean, it's like us when we want to go out to a restaurant, you know, like you might want to go out and have a burger tonight, but then what if you want to go out for Italian food just randomly on a Wednesday? Uh, you, you're not really expecting it. You just get a craving for something different. But if you have your favorite snack that you're eating on the way to the restaurant, that might be a poor analogy, but, uh, that's, that's kind of what I'm saying is like, if you can really focus on having that natural type browse that they're going to rely on, on their way to these destination food sources, I think that that can hold more weight than any one specific primary food source does that make sense
0: yeah for sure actually where okay. where i are on our lease we have a lot of natural brows, as well as there i guess you could consider it natural browse because we didn't put it there actually it was there well before we were there but there is a mm-hmm. load of crab apples where we hunt
1: and, oh okay and the deer yeah.
0: like there's a few really big crabapple trees in the middle of these overgrown crp style fields that we just leave alone and when mm-hmm. i go out and check them those crabapple trees there there's a ring of dirt around the base of them i mean the yeah. deer go to them every day
1: yeah uh so that's like uh one of the things that i always like to do as i'm walking around and keeping my eye out for is uh just looking for like browse lines And if you just look anywhere between like your hip to your shoulder and height, you'll be able to see just the little edge of any kind of branch or uh, forb or plant coming out of the ground, whatever it may be, it's just going to have a little nibble mark on the end. And that's another way to really dissect how deer are using the land is by identifying those little browse lines because they're out there. But if you're not really looking for it, it's extremely easy just to overlook it. And the quantity of that that you have on your property can greatly influence the ability to hold deer in a year-round setting.
0: Yeah, I like that. I like that information, man. That's really good. That is, um, I I feel that most people nowadays, I, I bet most people if I asked them that question would have said, soybeans corn or clover they just said one of those three things
1: (laughs) yeah it's hard it's hard to uh it's hard to argue with that fact but i always like to try to think outside of the box um and it it seems like by doing so it's just a way to kind of like keep things fresh and keep ideas fresh and uh just get a really different perspective on things um i just it seems like if you, the more of a routine that you get in and you kind of just like, you stick to your ways, then in the long run, it's just gonna end up hurting you more. And you just gotta kind of like, just keep changing things up a little bit, come at it with a little bit of a different approach and uh, just keep on, keep on keeping on. And uh, yeah, so. Yeah, I
0: feel like that's that's a big mistake a lot of people make is falling into a rut. And it's, I kind of equate that to like, right now I am in the, toward the end of our waterfowl season, I've been doing a load of waterfowl hunting. And so during the end of the season, one thing I like to do is every duck that has migrated from Northern Canada. And if I'm in Maryland, every duck has seen, uh, every decoy is sold in six, 12, you know, it's normally six or 12. So most people are running Mm -hmm. between 12 and 24 mallard decoys. So this time of year, I may put out three mallard decoys, two black duck decoys, and a couple diver decoys and kill a limit over them or kill birds over them. And then, you know, there's a lot of guys putting out the same dozen they've been putting out for a month and a half, not getting anything on the same stretch of water. And the reason is, just mix it up sometimes, or look a different route. Get your head out of your butt for a minute and just think. And that's all it yep. takes, really.
1: Yeah, exactly. You you said it perfectly there. Uh, one of the one of the favorite things that I do, uh, whether I'm out hunting or walking around a property or whatever it may be, I just can stand there and ask myself why something's happening. And if you just can allow your mind to start to wander uh, and start to just really pick apart what that what the answer to that question is, you can really start to get those out of the box type ideas. And you can do it for the same sense of why things are happening and why things aren't happening. And if you can just kind of focus on answering that simple question, you're really going to figure a lot of things out that could seem unclear uh, before that.
0: Right on, man. Well, thanks for the info there. I, I know I had a couple questions yeah. there myself, but I, I hope that'll help other people.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely.
0: So, in the few, I know you told me we talked before and you told me that you're covering all the way out to the, the East Coast as of now. So, what does the future hold for you and for Whitetail Partners?
1: Yeah, so uh, we brought in. Uh, this season, while well, I guess Sam brought us all in, it was it's myself in Ohio, uh, Sam's in Wisconsin, and then we have a consultant currently in uh, Michigan, Tennessee, and Georgia. So we have the five of us out here right now, and we are just kind of assessing how things are going and seeing exactly how each of us individually are looking to go, uh, with our own like separate region and what that looks like. Uh, myself personally, uh, like I mentioned to you when we were talking earlier, I just really enjoy traveling and any opportunity that I have, uh, to visit new area or just kind of get to see a, a different property from a different perspective. I'm going to really just jump on that chance if I have it. Um, I honestly just, uh, it's I'm at the point right now where I could see myself just kind of building out pretty far around like from Ohio all the way out to that East Coast or if I can just kind of find that like nice little market in the Southeastern Ohio range that I could just find myself sticking around here as well. Um, just really want to kind of not commit to it too far bar one way without really knowing what it is that I enjoy um just but for like right now you know just kind of living in the moment and enjoy the traveling opportunities when they when they come to me
0: yeah that's really cool man hey that's a great way to start a career because once you well I don't do you
1: have any children uh no nope we we do not have any kids yet just the wife and I
0: don't have kids before you figure out where you're going. I
1: can tell you that. Now. Yeah, that, that's uh, that's that's kind of the plan that we're going for right now. Is uh, we're just we're enjoying we're enjoying being able to uh, just pack things up on a Tuesday and go off to a job and uh, come back come back the following week and not really even care what happened back at home while we were gone. It's pretty nice.
0: <laughs> yeah, for sure, man. All right. Before we get out of here, I want to dive into your drone service. I know you do the drone thing. Um, So what are your responsibilities and what, you know, what do you use the drone for? I mean, what are people calling you up for?
1: Yeah. So uh, I actually, outside of uh, Whitetail Partners, I have my own uh, drone business set up where I offer specific drone services Uh, that's where the majority of my workload comes in for my droning. Uh, I do a variety of stuff with it on, on that end where I'm doing like a lot of aerial photography, uh, is the thing that I get the most requests for, but I just started, uh, doing more mapping type jobs. And this is a way that I kind of plan on implementing it with whitetail partners. I'm just kind of crafting it out to see exactly how I'm going to make it work logistically. Um, So what the mapping is in a nutshell is I can set these automated flight patterns with my drone and it goes out and it just takes, you know, if I'm going over even just say like a 10 acre section of land, it's going to go and take five to 600 photos every one to one and a half seconds of that land. And I can plug it into my computer, and from there it's going to give me a very high quality ortho photo, which is like what Google Earth looks like. But this is going to be extremely high quality because it's such a condensed area. And then I'm also going to have the ability to add layers that show uh, different types of vegetation and then different types of uh, elevation change. And by filtering through those layers, it's a way for me to kind of zoom out on a piece of property and really find like the optimal spots to implement these habitat projects. So it's not a way to replace the boots on the ground. It, scouting, it's just a way to kind of like add on and bring in a little bit more value to what the boots on the ground have to offer.
0: That's slick because also you could, you can utilize the photographs, and then, you know, I I don't know. I, I don't know. Would you draw on them? Would you, I guess, laminate you know, them? Yeah, you, you can, can do that. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. That would that would be uh, really cool. That way, people, because you could sell them that product itself with the service, and say, "Hey, look, I'll give you a blowed up map that is laminated, and then you guys can put it on the wall, and you can mm-hmm. move around tree stands, and you can do whatever." That would be really sweet.
1: Yeah absolutely and then between that and then uh like other things that it's good for would be also like tracking a, a piece of property year over year uh so you know you can go out there do a property flyover in July of 2023 and then come back in July of 2024 and you can look at all of those projects that we implemented and see how they are changing the landscape and you can really kind of get a bigger picture of how things are working and sometimes it's easier to see it from that bird's eye view of what it actually looks like because when you're on that ground level you know you can only see so much of your land at a time but um i have the the drone that i'm running uh it can hover up in one spot for close to 40 minutes on a single battery and i can fly it uh considerably far and everything so Like, it has some pretty strong capabilities that allow me to collect just an enormous amount of data to really just break things down and have a lot of value to add in when looking at properties.
0: Where did you get your experience with the drones?
1: Uh, I just one day was kind of uh, scrolling through the Internet looking just for I don't even know what, and uh, I came across these drones. And uh, my my dad actually works as an FAA repairman. Uh, He makes like parts for airplanes, basically. And his uh, supervisor runs on the side a drone company where they like resell drones for these big uh, like brand names. So I just started talking to him and uh, had a phone conversation with him and just kind of shared some ideas of like, Hey, this is what I want to do. You know, like, are they capable of doing this? And he's like, yeah, absolutely. So I, uh, just went out the next day and bought one and started flying it around. So it was really just a extremely random thing. And I have fortunately been able to, uh, market it in a way that has been able to provide me with a considerable amount of business doing it. So, um, I'm enjoying it. It's a, it's a very cool industry. There's a lot of growth surrounded around it and I know it just complements the consulting so well. So it's something I can, I look forward to continuing to learn on. I know I have a lot of room to grow, but yeah, it was just a really super random path that brought me to get into the industry.
0: Nice, man. That's really cool. It's kind of it's wild the way that that all tied back together.
1: <laughs> yeah, it really is. It's like i I just almost looked at it as a way that it like it was uh, almost just meant to be and one of those things where the stars kind of aligned, and I just started running with it. And I feel like that's the best way to go about things sometimes.
0: Absolutely, man. Hey, well, I tell you what, I really enjoyed you coming on. I learned a lot. Uh, I hope everybody else did too. Um, I'm going to hop off here and get some sleep. It's getting late.
1: All right, man. That sounds good.
0: All right. Hey, I really appreciate you coming on and taking the time. I'm sure everybody's going to love it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's nice talking with you. All
0: right, man. Hey, where can everybody find you online?
1: Yeah. Uh, so I'm most active on my Instagram page. Uh, so that's going to be Ohio underscore Whitetail underscore partners and actually now that i think about it i did that backwards it's whitetail underscore partners underscore ohio is what it actually is um so they can find me there or if they want to contact me directly uh feel free to send me an email uh ohio at com, or check out our website which is just uh whitetailpartners.com pretty simple so and then uh if not anything else you know if anybody wants to reach out to you directly uh then i can just share my uh phone number with you and then they can contact me that way as well more than happy to answer any questions or just want to bounce around some ideas talk to your honey and i'm always open to doing that as well
0: all right man appreciate it have a good one you too
1: right, Bye bye